Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 26, we're going to be uh, getting most of the way through the chapter today. Last week, we looked at verses 12 through 25. The material we're going to be looking at today kind of piggybacks a little bit on the material we looked at last week. Last week, Isaac was asked to go away. Abimelech said, go away, all right, you're too powerful for us, go away, and kind of shoot him off uh, a little bit further from Gerar, which is where the previous studies took place, and uh, we also saw the uh, drama that had to do with digging the wells, and every time there was a well that seemed to be dug, there seemed to be more drama that would come along, the people in the area, people in the land would argue, they'd fill up the wells, they'd make it difficult for Isaac, and then uh, finally, as we ended verses 23, 24, and 25, the Lord appears to Isaac, he blesses Isaac, he tells him he's going to bless Isaac, he reestablishes the covenant with Isaac, and then Isaac builds an altar there, calls on the name of the Lord, pitches his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. That was how we ended at the end of verse 25. There Isaac's servants dug a well. The key points that we looked at last time, we summarized them with some just some verses that kind of summarized them nicely. One of them was Luke chapter 12, verse 15. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses because a lot of the material we looked at was Isaac being blessed. He was, you know, possessions, 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 blessings, blessings, and prospering, prospering, prospering. The other one, Romans 12, 17, the first part of that says, repay no one evil for evil. I'm sure Isaac could have mustered up quite a, a little military force, if you will, and gone after these people that were giving him a hard time filling in his wells and whatnot and just finally said, you know what, enough is enough. Uh, but he didn't take that tact. He didn't uh, repay evil for evil. And then finally, John four fourteen, I have here that in our notes that we wrote down, in a spiritually dry and weary land, Jesus is our fountain of water springing up into eternal life. When we were talking about wells, we are talking about water. Couldn't help but talking about living water. Couldn't help talking about how Jesus is that living water for us. So moving on, the new material that we're going to be looking at, verses 26 through 33 then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away? Say, sent me away. Sent me away, right? <laughs> sent me away from you. But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. Say, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. <laughs> there you go. All right, well done. <laughs> so we said, let there now be an oath. Say, an oath. an oath. Between you and us, and let us make a covenant. Say, a covenant. A covenant. A covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, since we have not touched you, and since we have done nothing to you but good, and have sent you away in peace. Say, sent you away in peace. Sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Say, blessed of the Lord. Blessed Blessed of the Lord. Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away. Say, sent them away. Sent them away. And they departed from him in peace. 
say in peace. peace. Now you're probably saying, wait a minute, I thought you said verse 33. We haven't got that far. Well, verses 32 and 33, we'll finish those up when we get to the end of what we're going to be looking at right here. So in verse 26, then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath. All right, this is a new character. We haven't seen this guy before. And we don't need to get to know him very well at all because he's not going to say anything. All right, we're not going to hear from him much. He just seems to be in attendance. He's there for uh, the comfort and support of the king. Mine says one of his friends. Some of you might have other translations. Personal advisor. Personal advisor. Okay, good. Personal advisor in the NIV. Any others? ESV has advisor. Advisor. Okay. Some of your versions might have counselor. Friend, personal advisor, counselor. Those are the three most typical ones that you'll see here. It's a title. It's a word that it doesn't have a real clear meaning. The meaning is brought a lot by the context. All right, so that's why your translation committees choose one of those typically. So here's the king of Gerar, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, with Ahuzath, one of his friends or advisors, and Phicol, the commander of his army. The commander of his army, we know that's an actual title. We know what the translation is for that. Phicol is, we've talked about this before, probably a family name or a title. It's probably not a proper name. We've seen a Phicol before. In fact, we've seen an Abimelech and a Phicol before. Over in chapter 21, Abraham was visited by an Abimelech in attendance with a Phicol back then. All right, so here we have another Abimelech, another Phicol, and this is a third person, the Ahuzath person. All right. Interestingly, notice the shift. If you remember, Isaac went to Gerar, and he was the one that was visiting, and the king of Gerar, Abimelech, was the host, if you will, all right, of that area. And now it's reversed. So now here's Isaac in Beersheba, and Abimelech is the one who's the visitor, and it's Isaac who's the host of sorts, all right? Also kind of funny is that Phicol, his name, it's not really sure where his name comes from, where that word comes from, where Phicol comes from, but whatever the source of that word, the Hebrew translation of that same word actually means mouthful, and yet you find out he doesn't end up saying anything. <laughs> all right, so it's kind of fun there. Over in verse 27, and Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? Hmm. Do you remember when Abraham had three visitors? Do you remember over in chapter 18, three visitors come along. There's not even communication yet. And Abraham hurries to meet them. Please, please, please come on in. And he, he prepares feast. this feast for them, right? And he takes good care of them. Does it sound like Isaac's following the same pattern here? No, it doesn't. It doesn't sound like he's using the same tactic. Here he's saying, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? It sounds like he's a little miffed. And then verse 28, but they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. Say, the Lord is with you. We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. This is kind of interesting because here you have Abimelech. He's not a believer, as far as we know. He's in attendance with two other people, not believers, as far as we know. Yet they recognize that God is with Isaac. This is similar to other places that you can find as you're looking through. Uh, for example, Jethro in the book of Exodus, chapter 18. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. And after the Exodus story, Moses and his father-in-law get together. And Jethro ends up saying to him, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Jethro was not a believer. Jethro was an outsider. Jethro was a Gentile. He's not Hebrew. He's not Jewish. And yet he has this recognition. Wow, there's something about your God. That's pretty amazing. Over in uh, Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, we have Rahab. Rahab is the Gentile prostitute who lives in Jericho. And she's the one that offers to hide the spies, the Hebrew spies who come to spy out the land. Her town's going to get destroyed, and she knows it. And she's harboring these spies. And what does she end up in that conversation she has with them? She says this, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She's an outsider recognizing God is with you. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 15, we have Naaman. 
Naaman is the commander of the Syrian army. The enemy. He's the commander of the army of the enemy's forces. He comes into the land, right? And he goes to meet with Elisha. And as he's there meeting with Elisha, he says this, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Here are these outsiders that recognize there's something about you that the relationship you have with God is so much more real than anything I've ever seen. There's something about the way God deals with you that's unmistakable that God is with you. All right? That's the way we should be living our lives. If we're serving this same God, we should have such a relationship with this same God that people, that outsiders would look in and see and say, there's something different about you. There's something different about the relationship you have. There's something different about your God than any other God I've ever met or ever heard about or ever come across. All right? But here's another thing to notice, too. These are all Gentiles recognizing this is a Jewish, a Hebrew God. Right? This is the God of the Hebrews, and he's the one true God. It doesn't seem that this is the, the reputation any other God has. All right? Moving on from there, the second half of verse 28 says, So we said, let there now be an oath. Say an oath. An oath. Between you and us, and let us make a covenant. Say, a covenant. A covenant covenant with you. All right? Have we seen covenants before? Have we seen oaths before? We have. If you don't recognize that oaths and covenants are part of the fabric of what we're looking at through the scriptures here, you're going to miss a lot. All right? So this is just yet another place where we see the oath, where the covenant comes up. All right? A covenant or an oath. In this case, it's a covenant or an oath. It's an agreement between two parties, both being human. All right? A lot of times, a lot of the covenants that we're especially interested in as we would move through these passages would be oaths or covenants that would be between God and man. All right? But here we have an example of a covenant between a man and a man. All right? So here we have a covenant, another mention of a covenant. A sworn agreement. And what is he looking for? Well, we have a clue in verse 29. That you will do us no harm since we have not touched you. And since we have done nothing to you but good. And have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. They recognize this guy Isaac who's out there about 20 miles away. This guy Isaac, he's got it going on so good with this God. That we need to go out there. We need to make an agreement with this guy. Because you remember when they sent Isaac away, the reason for sending him away, when Abimelech said, please go away from us in verse 16, the reason he said go away from us is because of what? Look over in verse 16, see if you can figure it out. Why did he send Isaac away? Because you're much mightier than we. You're more mightier than we. That God has blessed Isaac so much that by the time we got to verse 16, Abimelech says, you know what, I just need you to move. I need you to move because you're more powerful than we are. And so here he has, he's moved, and we had all the drama of the whales between that time he was shooed away to the point where we're at right now. Abimelech, 20 miles away, recognizes, you know what, that wasn't even enough. Because God is blessing him so much, we need to go and make an agreement with this guy that he won't harm us. And we'll say we're not going to harm him too. We'll make this mutual agreement thing because the man is just continually getting blessed by God. So they go, it's probably a day-long journey. They get there and they're having this discussion with Isaac. And they say three things, right? Three things in their defense. In verse 29, three things in their defense. Number one, we haven't touched you. Number two, we haven't done anything but good to you. Really? Anyway. And number three, we sent you away in peace. Hmm. Do you think Isaac interpreted those three things the same way they're trying to sell them off? Probably not. Because Isaac would probably have not greeted them the way he did. Nice way to spin it. There you go. (laughs) I don't think Isaac saw it that way. (laughs) There you go. Nice way to spin it is exactly right. Yeah, they seem to be providing a little bit of spin on their three points of support here for their argument. 
But you can see there unmistakably in the end of verse 29, you are now blessed of the Lord. They recognize that he is blessed of the Lord. So they're looking for an agreement where please assure us that you're not going to harm us. That's Abimelech's request of Isaac. Please assure us you're not going to harm us. And we'll do the same for you. We'll assure you that we're not going to harm you. Okay. By the way, we're starting to see, when we see, especially there in the end of verse 29, where Abimelech says of Isaac, you are now the blessed of the Lord. And the fact that they're coming there wanting to benefit somewhat from the relationship that Isaac has with God, we're starting to see the seeds of fulfillment happening that God made with Isaac's dad, Abraham, so long ago when he first appeared to Abraham over in Genesis chapter 12. In verse 3, what we read there, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised Abraham was through you, in you, blessings, blessings, and through you, blessings to others. And here we see Abraham, his son, Isaac, and we see these blessings to others. And they recognize it. And they go, I want a piece of that. I want to be a part of that. I want, to, I want the blessings that I see that God is bestowing upon you. We're starting to see the fulfillment of that. And then verse 30, chapter 26, verse 30. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. A lot of times a covenant would be associated with a meal. You would have a meal associated with a covenant to ratify the covenant. Sometimes the meal would happen before the covenant. We see that in in this situation. Sometimes it would be after. We saw that in the uh, unnamed servant went to negotiate with Laban, the brother of Rebekah, regarding getting Rebekah, securing Rebekah, taking Rebekah back to be Isaac's wife. Meals were a more intimate time than they are now. All right. Nowadays, we can go to a Carl's Jr., we can go to a McDonald's, we can go to any number of fast food places, and we can go inside and eat among 50 total strangers. Right? And it's not an intimate occasion. <laughs> All right? We've lost the sense of a meal being an intimate occasion. Back then, you had a meal, and it was almost as if you were inviting somebody to participate in a family thing only. And when you had them participating in this with you, it was almost as if you were saying, I trust you enough to let you this close to my family. All right. It was part of ratifying the covenant in this situation. I can't help but pause for a moment here to also consider other times where there were significant meals with significant covenants. One of which is that meal that Jesus had on the night he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified. Right. That was the institution of a covenant. And you had the attendant meal going along with that. And then still looking at future of that, we have what? A marriage supper of a lamb. We're looking forward to that day when we get to be a part of that meal. Meals are more than just fast food. Get the fast food thing out of your mind when you're thinking and seeing meals spoken of in scriptures. It's something more intimate than the fast food that we're used to. All right. John Hartley says this of this verse. Not having welcomed Abimelech with a meal upon his arrival meant that Isaac had received him as an unwelcome guest. His display of hospitality informs us that he has changed his attitude toward the king of Gerar. So to Isaac's credit, he changed his attitude. He started off nasty. He started off as, you know, what do you want, you jerk? You know, and now he's actually invited them in to have the meal. He's agreeing to have this oath or this covenant with them. This reminds me also of Matthew 5.44. Matthew 5.44 is that really challenging passage Jesus gives us where he says that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, Do good to those who hate us and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's the challenge from Jesus. And we go, that's too high a standard. Mm -hmm. But we actually see Isaac engaging in that behavior here. He seems to be maturing even in the few minutes of conversation that he's had with them. All right. Moving on to verse 31. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away. Say, sent them away. 
sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Say, in peace. So how did Abimelech send away Isaac? It wasn't the same way that Isaac is now sending away Abimelech, right? Abimelech sent off Isaac, and it was tense. There was some tension there. It was awkward. It was not under the best conditions. But now Isaac is sending away Abimelech in peace. This peace, in Hebrew, this word is shalom. Shalom, you probably have heard this word before. It's probably not unfamiliar to you. Shalom is a big deal when we're reading through the scriptures, all right? It shows up 237 times in the Old Testament scriptures. And the shalom carries with it the idea of not just peace, but wholeness or right or complete or the way it should be, all right? So when Isaac is sending away these guys, it's as if everything is the way it should be. It's everything is settled. Everything is tranquil. Every, some of the other uh, ways that you can translate shalom is peace or completeness, welfare or health, unharmed, unhurt, to be whole, a harmonious state of the soul and mind, a state of being at ease externally and internally, or to dwell in safety. All right? It's just the way it should be. It's the way it's supposed to be. You look at the different passages of, of where shalom appears, and that, that's like many studies of its own because there's so many different passages where it would show up. But I found it especially ironic where Jesus is having that last meal, right? He's having that meal, and he says, somebody's going to betray me. And they're like, what? Somebody's going to betray you? Who's going to betray you? Hey, psh, ask him who's going to betray him. You know? And he ends up giving this cryptic clue, this clue that says, the one who dips his bread with me is the one that's going to betray me. He's actually making a reference to Psalm 41. And if you go to Psalm 41, you find out more about who it is that Jesus is thinking of in using the words of Scripture that's going to betray him. And it's a person described as my familiar friend or my shalom friend. It's Judas. In the sense of irony, it makes it all the more treacherous when you think of Jesus thinking of Judas as a friend of shalom, a friend of peace who would turn on him and would betray him. And it just kind of makes it sting all the more when you hear that, that treachery that goes on with that. A couple other passages that have to do with peace. Turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, very famous passage. And we're going to be going to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And we're just taking a little tiny slice out of a bigger passage. But I'm, I'm going to emphasize these two verses, especially because of the word peace, the word shalom that shows up in, in these verses here. Isaiah chapter 9, starting with verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born. Anybody ever heard this passage before? Does it sound familiar to anybody? Yes, it does. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And what's the last one there? Prince of Peace. And then verse 7, the way it begins there, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. A Prince of Peace to come. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be going to verses 11 through 18. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh. Paul, speaking to the church in Ephesus, right? He's speaking to the believers in Ephesus. So, therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hand. So he's saying, I'm talking to you Gentiles. You guys are the ones that are in the group called uncircumcised. And people that are calling you uncircumcised, they are the Jews. They're calling you because they're circumcised, all right? So he's setting the stage. He's giving the background. He's about to make a point. That at the time, you were without Christ. 
He's speaking to the Gentiles. They were without Christ, meaning that some group was with Christ. Who was with Christ? If the Gentiles were without Christ, it was the Jews with Christ. That at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. We've been looking at covenants, have we not? We've looked at a covenant today. We've been talking about covenants. The Gentiles, strangers saw that stuff. All right? He's saying, you guys were strangers to all this stuff. Having no hope and without God in the world. No shalom. No peace for you. <laughs> all right? He's talking about, no peace for you. All right? He's talking to the Gentiles. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now, something's changed. Speaking to the Gentiles, still. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been made near by the blood of Christ. That's us. That's Gentiles. I'm a Gentile, as far as I know. I haven't done a DNA testing, but I think I'm a Gentile. All right. <laughs> you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Say peace. peace. He himself is our peace. Jesus, Yeshua, is our peace. Whose peace? The Gentiles' peace. But he's the God of the Jews. How could he be the Gentiles' peace? He goes on to say, for he himself is our peace, who has made both... One. Who's the both? It's the Jew and Gentile. He has made both one. What is the one now? It's followers of God, the people of God. He has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us. What was the middle wall? Jew, Gentile. He's broken it down. He's broken down the middle wall of division between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Say peace. Peace. Thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace. Say peace. peace. And he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. When he says enmity, between whom? The God and man or, or Gentiles oh, and Jews? Great question. In this context, it's Gentiles and Jews. But definitely, when he becomes our peace... He destroys the enmity between us and God as well. Excellent question. Good job. Did we read all the verses I intended to read? Nope. There's one more. Verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. He is our peace. We find that right there in verse 14. He is our peace. And not only that, he's the Prince of Peace. This Jesus, this Yeshua, he is the Prince of Peace spoken of over in Isaiah chapter 9. But getting back to Isaac then. Getting back to Isaac, what do we see? Isaac, the preacher's outline in Sermon Bible Commentary Committee says this of Isaac. He wanted and sought peace with his neighbors. He was willing to forget the past in order to secure peace and build good relationships with his neighbors. This should always be the desire of the believer's heart, to forget the past and build good relationships with those who oppose us and at our odds with us. This kind of demonstrates the principle that we find in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. Not the promise, but the principle that we find in Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Lots of other verses we could look at having to do with peace. Too many of them we can uh, cover in this one study, but just a little handful. We've got here, uh, have peace with one another, Mark 9:50. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12:18. Therefore, let us follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another, Romans 14, 19. And then follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man will see the Lord, Hebrews 12, 14. And then a personal favorite, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, Matthew 5, 9. 
now resuming with verse 32. It came to pass that same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. The well which they had dug. Do you remember that? That was the last verse that we looked at from last week's study. That he settles down. In fact, go go there and, and just look at it. The last verse that we looked at, verse 25. What does it say over there? So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. They dug a well. It doesn't tell us if they ever found anything there or not. Here we have a resuming of that story of what happened in verse 25. What do we find? We find in verse 32, it came to pass that same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. We have found water. Why do you suppose the author brings it to our attention, this little detail that this happens the same day that he makes the oath with the Benelech and the two people attending him? Why do you suppose the author points it out that same day? more blessings because he's doing what the Lord asked him to do. Yep, that's sure what it looks like. It looks like God's blessing him, and it looks like God's blessing him in conjunction with his good choices. Excellent job. Well done. Verse 33, So he called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. This is actually the same place that Abraham had called Beersheba. All right? Beersheba was the name that Abraham gave it. Here we have Isaac reasserting that that's the name he's going to go with. You remember last week we looked at the wells, and many of them were the wells that his father had dug. And there was an assertion by Isaac in naming those the same names that his dad had named them, as if to say, I'm claiming ownership of the wells that were started by my dad, or that my dad named. All right, So it's a way to claim ownership. And here we have this reminder that his dad did the same thing there. But we also see something else. When we looked at Beersheba, he's been gone for a while. Isaac's been gone for a while. He was there before. But he's been gone in this middle time that we've been looking at, but now he's returned. Beersheba was the place that we read about when Abraham sent away Hagar and Ishmael when Isaac was weaned. You remember there was that party celebrating the weaning of Isaac, and then there was that little issue that happened, and Sarah went off the handle, and you know now Abraham has to do something drastic, and they sent away Hagar and Ishmael, and it was mentioned that that place associated with that event was Beersheba. And then later on, when you find uh, when Abraham took Isaac in response and in obedience to God's command, took Isaac to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him, and God came through in a big way there. God intervened and stopped that before it went too far. And it says in association with that, they returned to Beersheba. This is the childhood home, if you will, of Isaac. This is where he was raised. This is where we saw him from weaning, at least, up until at least that Akadas story where Abraham went to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. That's a big time of your life. That's a big span of your youth. And I can't help but think of two passages that have to do with this, at least that conjures up in my mind. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. This is a verse that's personally important to me because it was kind of like my, this was my high school verse. When I was going through high school, this was the verse that I held on to. I even had it, uh, we had an opportunity for our yearbooks to be engraved with our names. And when I filled out the slip, I, instead of putting Jeff Smith, you know, to have them engrave my name on my yearbook, I put Ecclesiastes 12.1 and wow. they messed it up. They're like, what kind of name is this? And they didn't put the colon in it, so it looks like Ecclesiastes 121. <laughs> also, this verse over here, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Isaac is returning to a place physically, geographically, where he grew up. But there's a spiritual application in that we as parents, if you're a parent, you're to train up your children in the way your children should go. 
And when they're older, they won't depart from it. And so there's discussion, what happens in the middle time? (laughs) Do they leave and come back? All right. But there's this idea that you build that good foundation in their life, and they can build upon that later. If you don't build that good foundation in their life, what are they going to build upon? All right. So summarizing what we've looked at today, I guess I could give you two verses. One of them that encapsulates some of what we looked at is Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Isaac could have treated badly the people that were treating him badly. Mm-hmm. He could have gone out with an army and slaughtered people. He could have gotten into a battle. He could have gotten into a shouting match. He could have done any of those things, but he didn't. All right. And what happened was God blessed him, and we also see people recognized, not the least of which was the king of Gerar, recognizing God has blessed you. God is with you. All right. Another verse that kind of encapsulates the second part that we've seen here. Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, Live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably with all. Live peaceably. But recognizing it's not always in our hands. There are going to be times when, despite what we would try to do, all right? (laughs) So that's why the verse says, if at all possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the high standard you've given us, but we also thank you that you've shown us the way and you empower us to do it. Lord, to live peaceably with all men, that's ridiculous. We can't do that. But with you, Lord, we trust all things are possible. We pray that you would help us as much as is possible that you would help us to live at peace with all people. And then, Lord, the other part of what we looked at today, help us to shine that light. Help us, Lord, to show by the way that we live with you that our God is real, that our God involves himself with the lives of people who seek him. We pray that you would help others to recognize that, but even more than recognize, help them to respond. Help them when they say, I want you to go to your Tuesday group and pray for me. I pray, God, that they would come. I pray that they would meet you for themselves. I pray that they would get to know you personally as you've desired them to do and as you've made yourself personally known to us. Thank you that you are personally involved in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. You guys have a good week.